Hi, my name is David Hershkovitz, and this is Light Culture, a podcast where we knock heads with cultural disruptors of the past, present, and future. Light Culture is brought to you by Burb, the Vancouver-based cannabis and apparel brand. Follow us on Instagram at David Reporting and listen to our weekly show at shopburb forward slash light culture. Growing up hip hop was a reality TV show that starred today's guest, TJ Mizell, the son of Jam Master J, the legendary DJ of Run DMC. Not easily typecast, he has since gone on to become a celebrated DJ in his own right, going worldwide as the DJ for ASAP Ferg's live shows and launching a career in the music business as well. Like everyone else living the pandemic blues, his flow has been disrupted, his live appearances canceled, and now he's living this weird non-life like the rest of us, but at least he's got a little baby at home to keep him busy. How you doing, <laughs> DJ? Welcome to Light Culture. Thank you, guys. Um, I'm great. I'm great. I'm I'm enjoying this uh, this weird time that we're all living in right now. <laughs> you are. That's sure. interesting because that's yeah. actually the first thing I want to talk about. Because I know I go up and down between you know this corona is the worst thing that ever happened to maybe mm -hmm. it's not so bad in that it's forcing a reset and a lot of positive things are going to come from it so it sounds yeah. like you're on the positive tip right now oh for sure 100 on the positive tip i spent the last like seven years i would say touring just spending most of my year on the road away from home and I was blessed with a beautiful baby this year. He came February. He came about a month. He came on February 15th. So it's about a month before everything shut down. Um, so I was planning on taking this time off anyway up until April. And then this pandemic struck, you know, so I'm, I'm fortunate to spend as much time as I can at home with, with this new little guy. And I'm enjoying every moment of it, you know, spending time on focusing on self, spending time with my girlfriend, with the baby, my mom lives across the street, so we've kind of like self-quarantined with my family as well. And it's it's been like a, a very, very humbling experience because as we all know, it's tough not being able to work in times like this. And we don't know. It's a lot of uncertainty, but I've, I've been looking at the positive side and just being able to spend time at home with the fam. Yeah, well, that's sweet because, uh, you know, as as we mentioned earlier, you lost your dad when you were relatively young, right? Like 10 or 11. Yeah, so. yep. This is something special for you. And I know friends who have had similar experiences or didn't grow up with their fathers who, when they become dads themselves, really feel like I got to, you know, be there. I know what I missed. Oh, for sure. Yeah, 100%. And you nailed it. That's exactly kind of how I feel. You know, my father, being who he was, spent a lot of time on the road. So when this little guy was on his way, I, I promised myself that I'd be able to spend way more time with him. So this was a little blessing in disguise. I get to spend these first few months with him every day. So do you feel like there's other adjustments there are going to be? Because you see online, a lot of DJs are, are doing shows live and oh, just sure. sort of connecting with their, with their audience in that way. 100%. I feel like that's going to be the future of a lot of events is going to be live events, especially because... 
I already know that once live events do come back, they're going to be at a certain capacity. They're going to be limiting the amount of people that are allowed into venue spaces. So I feel like the the whole streaming thing thing is going to be a huge uptake in a lot of the stuff that's going on and people are already adjusting to it. Like be nice. One of the, the, the coolest live sets I've seen go down. He's gained hundreds of thousands of followers and it's, it's amazing to see what he's been doing and a lot of all my other friends too. So I've done a few live sets. I plan on doing a little bit more. But yeah, I've really just been focusing on being at home. Well, there's the, the benefit there to some extent is, you know, the intimacy of seeing somebody actually working the tables, doing it right in front of you. Oh, for sure. You and know? that's where the turntablists are winning now, you know? Turntablists are coming up in this, in this day and age because it's not just mixing records back and forth. They're actually showing their, their art form and showing that the turntables or DJ equipment period can be used as an instrument and not just ways to blend two, two songs together. But at the same time, as I saw, you know, researching you a little bit and how important it was for you as a beginning DJ to go in front of a live audience and feel mm -hmm. that energy coming and how that inspired you, in fact, to continue to, to pursue this career as a DJ. So that for is sure. something you have to adjust to. Yeah. And also in, the, in this point in time, like I've been, I've been on the road DJing for a while with, with, an, with, an, with an artist. And during that time, I've been making a bunch of music. And now I feel like being at home has kind of forced me to put this music out. So in a positive light, you know, it's, it's given me time to adjust and also focus on putting some music out and putting, let, letting people know like where I stand as far as how to express myself through music. So I'll be dropping music actually, I think in eight days. Um, dropping a record with my friend Seb. We formed a group called Alexander Smash. We'll be dropping some some records there. So yeah, hopefully dropping a record every month. We have a huge catalog of music that we've worked on in the last year. And uh, yeah, so we're just going to drop that next week. And then hopefully another record the month after, then another record the month after. So well, we have sweet. records to last all the way to the end of the year. So we'll be dropping a bunch of stuff. That's amazing because, you know, given what you were saying, you know, how there's sort of s slowing down and stopping, getting off the treadmill, uh, mm -hmm. you know, where your schedule is so much determined so far into the future and you have to run around constantly, you know, meeting deadlines and taking meetings and so on. So it's often really difficult to get that space mentally, at least, to do your own work, yeah. to focus. Yep. So in your case, that's good because for some people at the same time, like me, for example, I find it really hard to concentrate sometimes yeah. because of everything that's going on around us as well. It's so true. There's, there's so many distractions. And I, I feel like the biggest distraction really is just uncertainty, not knowing what the, what the future holds for all of us in our workforces, in our social life, all of that. It's definitely a little, a little weird. <laughs> to say the least. Well, you live in LA now. Is that yep. your home? Yep. LA is home. Right. So, cause you oh, were yeah. very much of a New York kid, uh, well, at least growing up and then you moved back there later. Yep. Um, and you know what a hustle bustle kind of place it was until recently. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we know that's not going to be the same for a while, given that so many tourists alone were, were, walking the streets constantly and yep. so it's going to be a very different place with regard to entertainment and how people live their lives so that for part sure. is going to be different for sure yeah 
I'm excited to get back to New York. I, I don't see myself going back there for a while, mainly because I have my kid and just based off of what's going on now. So maybe later on 2021, I'll be out there <laughs> visiting my friends right. with my kid. But as of right now, it's New York is a little quiet. It's a hot zone. Same with LA though. I can't say the same. Like LA is the same way. It's just set up a little bit differently. People are usually in their cars. There isn't much walking by one another. So it's a little different, but it's just as bad here. I'm out in the country right now in upstate New uh, York where I have a lot of distance and you know, amazing. rarely have to put a mask on unless I go into the supermarket or something. But I went into the city one day and I could really feel the difference. And, and friends of mine who are still there are always saying, you know, it's, it just feels a lot scarier. Every time you leave the house, you have to feel like, oh my God, I, got, I better have everything I need. Yeah. Growing up hip hop, was that what that weird TV show? <laughs> uh, yeah. Have, did you watch any of it? I, I tried to watch a little bit online, but not that much. I have to say, I didn't yeah. really watch it when, the, when it was on in yeah. the first place. It seems a little out of character for your personality as I see it. For sure. Yeah, definitely. I would say it was a little out of, out of character. I, I, I was approached by Angela, Angela Simmons, who's been a family friend, like good friend of mine since we were kids. And it was at a, at a point in time in my career where I wanted a lot of exposure. And uh, I was on the road a lot. And I was like, hey, this, this, is, this is a good, this would be great PR, you know? And, and it was. It was incredible PR, to say the least. And I got a lot of exposure from it. I got a lot more eyeballs on what I was doing. There was a lot more conversation about Jam Master J, which in a positive light, I never did anything stupid on the show. So, um, and, I, and I made sure of that. What was your drama? I didn't have any drama. And that's honestly <laughs> why I'm not on the show anymore. This is because I was a boring character. And, uh, you were normal, just, you mean? You didn't like lose uh, it? Yeah. Have beef exactly. with everybody? And they were trying to get me to have beef and I just, I didn't have any. So they were like, okay, well, they just didn't give me a call back for season four. And I wasn't mad at all. I was actually pretty, pretty hyped on that. Yeah, probably relieved. You didn't have to make that decision yourself, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a lot of, you know, positives and negatives of being a a son of a famous person in general, but if also if you're also moving in the same direction musically and, you know, always going to be compared or somehow, you know, put in that position. So how do you feel about the positives? Obviously you have name recognition, you know, you have people, you know, in the early stages who would probably want to check you out because they knew your legacy. But then at the same time, there's negatives to that because everyone's going to go, well, he's not as good as his dad or, other things that could come up yeah for sure well um i would say i don't i don't really see any negatives in it at all i the comparison thing it's like it's different we're in a new day and age like i can never be compared to my father as far as djing goes because he kind of started this thing it's it's different when you're a pioneer you know when you started especially in the 80s it's like there were there were cuts that i can do that weren't even invented back then so and, and he was the one that was inventing them along with his peers. So as far as that goes, I don't think that any real DJ can actually compare me in, in that sense. I never really think of anything negative. I, everything's always positive when it comes to who I am and like my name and who my father was. Even with me being in the same career field, people always think like, oh, 
this kid's probably like a hip hop head, a huge classic hip hop head. And that's not the case. I grew up listening to emo rock and post hardcore music. And my favorite bands were like Blink-182 and All Time Low, Mayday Parade, bands like that. I never really listened to hip hop growing up. It was never forced on me. So for me to even like feel like, oh, I've, I need to follow in this man's footsteps or anything like that, is it was never really on my mind. And a lot of my peers, I feel like they, they caught on to that early. And people who know me are people that even are in the same realm. They're like, oh, yeah, this is, this is a totally different thing. You know, at least we still get to live on this Jam Master J name and we get to talk about it because his family members are, are keeping his name alive. So you were listening to this other kind of music. So when did you get into hip hop or how did that happen? Hip hop was always like my, my family, my mom. Like I lived in Queens, went to school in Manhattan, and every every car ride was listening to the radio, listening to hip hop. Um, and and of course, being like a kid, you know, like, but I'm 29 now, so you got to think about hip hop in the early 2000s. The shit was whack. There was nobody. There was nobody coming out with no hot shit in the early 2000s. So what did I have? I had I had rock and roll music in like 2009, 2010, and I was graduating high school when I was in college. Hip hop music started to come back, and it started to kind of become popular music again. And that's when I really started to indulge in it again. But before then, I didn't even check for any of that shit. I was like, I'm not going to listen to these guys who are making this whack-ass music. It's not even, it's not even good, you know? Name names. Was, Let me hear who you talking I'm not about. Gonna, I'm not going to name names. <laughs> but, but, but we could all just look at the charts of 2001, 2002, 2003, all the way to 2008, and there's nothing hot. So... I don't feel bad about it. What made it go off off course and then what made it come back? I feel like music changed and the people who were listening, like the people who were making music, the hip hop artists, their influences were a little different when they were growing up. But to say now, it's different. We have like, crazy enough, it's the music that I was listening to growing up that is influencing these hip hop artists now. The Travis Scotts, the little Uzi Verts, R.I.P. Lil Peep, you know, but these guys who are making hip hop music popular culture now had rock and roll music to, to be influenced on growing up. Their influences are different, making the music a little bit better, I would say, or, or not better. I would just say current. And how does that reflect in your own performance? So obviously when you're out with ASAP Ferg, you have like a set list more or less, right? So, you know, yep. you're, yep, you're like a sure. part of the band. You're not exactly, you know, soloing, right? Exactly. Yeah, for sure. Well, with hit with Ferg's music is that man, he has so much energy. All of his songs have so much energy. So it's almost like a punk rock show in itself. There's, well, not as much anymore. We're a little bit older now. And I DJ for Lil Pump as well. So that's still relevant when I, when I, when I speak about what I'm saying, but they're like punk rock shows. Kids are stage diving, they're crowd surfing, there's mosh pits. That's the energy that I grew up on when I went to shows, seeing bands like Blink-182 and, you know, good charlotte like that's that's the that's the energy that we had and also when i was listening to that music let's let's say skrillets per se this is this i always use this example it's a good example but i was listening to from first to last when i was growing up and that was the band that skrillex was in before he became skrillex and when the when that scene kind of started to die out sunny moore which is skrillex's name he started to make his own music and in that, it was acoustic music because I guess he didn't have a band to play with anymore. And this is this is just my take on it from what I've seen. I've never looked it up or anything, but just from my observation, he's he started making acoustic music under Sonny Moore. And then I remember hearing a Toy Shop remix. So somebody took his acoustic music and flipped it to electronic music. 
as just like you would take an acapella and make a remix, you know? And after I heard that remix, I remember all of Skrillex's music changing. And that changed into the electronic music that we hear today. And so for me, like being a guy who grew up listening to that stuff, it just made sense for me to understand and like electronic music because that's almost the trajectory that it, that it took, you know? That's interesting, yeah, that, that you have that moment where you think something, where everything transitioned for him. I'm reminded also, as you speak, because Africa Bambata back in the day, uh, used to talk about rap music as punk rock for him. Oh, wow, yeah. I didn't even know that. That's dope. Yeah, yeah. That was For him, that was what it was, just another version of punk rock. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Yeah, see, like that, there's a lot of emotion in that. I wasn't feeling much emotion in hip-hop in the early 2000s, you know? So that's what I, what I kind of uh, gravitated towards. And then when you do, when you work with the Ferg on, on a, you know, on a show, how, you know, just, can you maybe just enlighten us or me, <laughs> nobody else anyway, I'm interested. Mm-hmm. What is the process? How does like the DJ fit in with the music? Are you just cutting like the records as, as they were created or doing more to Yeah, it? so, so I feel like the process behind Ferg and I, when we're, going into a show is we're thinking about our demographic. We're thinking about who's at the show and then we're creating our set towards that, you know? So if we're playing a college show, we have like a way to go up. We have a way to go about that. We are, we are understanding that there might be a lot of new listeners because this isn't uh, of like of a show that is his show, like a tour show. So we're thinking, okay, so there's some college kids here. They might not all be Ferg fans. They may have come to see like an opening artist or something. So let's put them on. So we come out with a song that everybody knows, you know, and we blow it out like that. We save the bangers for the end and we kind of take them on a ride. And what I would usually do is I've, I've been like Ferg's like liaison, I would say, in the electronic music scene because there was a point in time where every, like however you want to call it, EDM DJ was playing Ferg's records on stage. Regardless whether it was a remix or it was the original, they were playing his record. So Fur got booked for a lot of EDM shows and he didn't understand that world. And that's the world that I came from, you know, like learning how to DJ. I was that dude. I, I, I learned how to DJ at the Scratch DJ Academy. So there's a lot of OG DJs there, a lot of OG turntablists that were like thinking there's like, yeah, EDM is going to be like dubstep. That's just going to die, you know, but I, for some reason, loved it. So I was that guy teaching kids how to do cuts over like electronic music, you know, and that was different in 2010, 2011, 2012. People weren't really doing that. I feel like my job with Ferg was to kind of put him onto this sound because he was getting booked for these shows anyway. So I would go and hit up my friends that were making remixes. A lot of my homies were making crazy remixes to Ferg's records. So I would be like, yo, let's play this remix. Let's play this remix. And it honestly worked out and he ended up getting booked for way more EDM shows. So I feel like as a DJ and as a music enthusiast, it was my job to kind of be like, hey, this is the other stuff that's going on outside of your realm. Let's tap in. Let's tap into this. Let's tap into that. Let's link you with this producer. And Ferg's made some crazy records with EDM producers that are coming out now that have come out before. And uh, I feel like that's kind of my job is just as a DJ, just to kind of put him onto other things that are outside of his realm. That's that's interesting because that's not when you met, that wasn't the relationship that you had, right? So this was something that had to probably be built on over a period of time because uh, maybe you can just relate the how that original connection happened. It, it actually, that, sh- that, that happened the first, the very first show. The very first show, we had a show in Poland 
Um, and this is my first show with him. It was with the Red Man and Method Man as well. I barely knew him at the time. Like, this is my first show with him. So we're just sitting in the hotel room and I'm, we're going over the set and I'm playing him records. I'm like, yo, have you heard this remix? Oh, yeah, have you heard this remix? He's like, what? This is crazy. I didn't even know this existed. It took maybe like a few months or till we were in the position to have to play to an electronic music crowd to where he was down to play remixes out. But it didn't take very long, you know, because I was heavily into it when we first met. Like I was, I wanted to be a full on like EDM producer when we first met and just bass music. That's really what I love bass music. But he didn't you know? pick you for that. Why did he ask you to be a DJ for him? Well, he, he picked me because I had done a turntable routine like in the middle of the street with my turntables. It was like a little content play that we did. And I used the generator to like set my turntables up, did a little routine. I remixed like um, ASAP Rocky's Purple Swag and Peso at the time. And it was, they were like kind of like trappier, like festival trappier remixes. And he saw that, the whole mob saw that because a lot of blogs picked it up. And he was actually introducing me to Ian Connor at, at a Drake show backstage. And just in that conversation, he was like, oh, I actually need a DJ. Do you want me to be my DJ? And that's kind of how it started. It's right so place, interesting. Uh, you know, right that place, he, right time. And he's so instinctive, I guess, in that way, right? They didn't oh, just... for sure. 100%. I've learned that about him, too. I've learned that he's very instinctive. He jumps on. He jumps on. Like, he always has his finger on the pulse, you know? And he's like, hey, like, this kid's up and coming. Like, I'm up and coming. I could use somebody to grow with. And, and he really... He capitalized on that, and so did I. And we kind of just made it a thing and made history from there. And then, you know, when you go and do a show on your own, how different is that? Do you play the hits of the Ferg, or is it... Oh, for sure. Yeah, I always play yeah. Ferg's hits at every show. I was playing Ferg's hits at every show before <laughs> I was DJing for him. You know, like, so it all just made even more sense. But, yeah, I always do. I even use his drops during my set, like his, um, like some of the ad-libs that he does. And just because I know that, like, a lot of my come-up is, is with Ferg, so... I always play on that and like show homage and yeah. And do you play like old school stuff too? And, and what is your set like all to, all around? Not too much old school stuff. If I have to, I will. Like if I'm doing, if it's like a brand event or I'm doing some like corporate stuff, I'll definitely do like a, <laughs> a really fun, a really fun old school hip hop set because I know that's what I'm being booked for. But when I'm doing stuff, there were TJ Mizell is being booked to, to party. I'm making sure that they're going through the roof during every song. Like my main goal, I feel like, and I know this isn't the case. I know this is what, DJ, what DJ, every DJ is supposed to do, but I feel like if the kids aren't moshing and going crazy and screaming the words to every song, I'm not doing my job. Even if I am supposed to play like a chill set, I don't feel like I'm doing my job. So my job is to, or at least I feel like my job is to make sure that these kids are losing their mind on every single song that I drop. And that's like a TJ Marzell set. And, you weren't really from the hood yourself, right? And there's so much right now in the culture about being hard and, and you know, that's the vibe and a lot of the, the work that you see out there and the image that's, that's portrayed. And that, yep. you know, so much of, you know, so-called authenticity uh, revolves around that. So uh, do you find that a, an issue at all with regard to... Hell hang? no, hell no. <laughs> Definitely you ready? not, like... You ready I'm for Method Man and Red Man? And <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I'm definitely not from the hood. Like, my, my family worked way too hard for me to be brought up in a, in a tough situation like that, you know? 
that's what they worked for. They worked hard to make sure that we didn't, my brothers and I didn't have to go through that. I hear what you mean by there's like a pressure, but the pressure comes off like, I mean, not the pressure, but I would say that like authenticity in that comes off very, very quickly. And if you're somebody who's faking that shit and you're not from that, it's, you're just going to put yourself in a wild hole. And I've seen that happen to so many people. What I've learned in, in the music industry and just in life itself is just to be yourself as much as you can. And that's how you'll go far, like not pretending to be somebody else. And you, you see it now. You see people pretending to be somebody else and they quickly fail. Yeah, that's a great rule in any case. And, you know, ultimately what I find with, you know, musicians and artists, it's the work that matters. You know, they'll accept 100%. you no matter who the fuck you are if you can put out the good stuff, right? Exactly. Yep. Just deliver. You got to deliver. Yeah, so that's where you win. So what about in the lifestyle category where people are like smoking up backstage and just sort of partying hard? Is, oh, do you, I'm, a, do you, I'm a heavy pot smoker. I smoke weed every single day. Every single, I love marijuana, but I don't, I don't see that that is like associated with like being like hard or, or anything like that. You know, I've seen, I see, I, I, I sense that as being the opposite, you know, like just cause you smoke doesn't make you harder. It doesn't, <laughs> doesn't make you, make mellow, you a gangster. Right? makes you mellow, makes you, brings people together. You know, it, that's, that's, what, that's really what marijuana does. Marijuana brings the masses together. I feel like. Did you grow up around it? I didn't grow up around it per se, but my dad smoked a whole lot of weed, you know, and, I, and the first time I ever smoked weed, I've never had like a light bulb moment up until then. And like I, I, I hit, it was like my 14th birthday or something like that. And I, I hit, I, we were hitting like, I think it was like a gravity bong out of like a Gatorade bottle or something stupid. <laughs> and um, I exhaled and it was like a light bulb. I instantly was taken back to my dad's studio instantly taken back to the car and it was just like this moment of like wow my dad smoked weed you know and since then it's been like a connection when i smoke it's like yeah this is what my dad did. and my mom has been like after i've been like yo ma like the dad smoked weed and after a certain age she's like yeah your dad loved weed to the point where uh my brother has actually come up with a like a, a pre-roll line that he'll be launching soon in my dad's name which is pretty oh, cool yeah yeah Sick. Um, yep, for sure. I don't want to talk too gonna... much about it. I don't want to okay. talk too much about too it yet, early. but it's a little too early. But it's it's sick. They're in like in a patent pen. Like they're trying to get a patent for it now, and the the pad packaging is done. The packaging is the coolest part of this whole product, I would say, and the weed is great as well, of course. And yeah, uh, yeah it's cool. It's cool. Okay, so you so that's not a problem for you then, I guess. Oh no way. We love marijuana over here. Before you, you became a turntablist in your youth, you were a musician as well, right? You played the violin and percussion. Yep. Uh, do you still fool around with, with the instruments? I still fool around with the drum kit. I have a drum kit at my studio out here. But really, most of it's just producing on a DAW now. I use Ableton, just kind of bringing all those aspects together and, and producing that way. And and you got your start at the at the DJ Academy, which was that started by your dad as well? Yep, Scratch DJ Academy was started by my dad. I'm old enough to be, you know, remember that when that place opened and I yep. was feeling like, wow, this is kind of whack because, you know, this is supposed to be like something that comes from the street. People do it in their kitchen, like Grandmaster Flash or somebody, you know. And it For sure. But the idea of the professionalizing of of the DJ was, was kind of visionary at the same time. 
Yep, 100%. And also just like, I feel like the point of view that you had or, or just like that, that perception was something that my dad wanted to kind of kill out because he was realizing, okay, this is a pretty selfish thing. It's like, you don't learn how to DJ unless you know somebody and you got to be their apprentice. You got to carry around their records yeah. all day long. And then like, maybe, just maybe they'll teach you how to mix this song or two. But if you fuck up their equipment, it's a wrap for you. You know, it's like, it's done, you're done that kills the art form, you know, it's like, so when all those, when all those OGs die out, like who's going to be there to keep the art form going along, you know, places like the Scratch DJ Academy and other schools there, they're keeping that art form alive to the younger generation. Whereas in before it was, it's like the hip hop shit. It's like, nah, I don't want to, I don't want to look out for the younger generation because they're going to take our shine. Like I want to keep this. And that's like a, a selfish mentality to have, you know? So my dad was just like you said, like a visionary in understanding that the younger generation needed to be taught in a, in a comfortable, safe environment. And do you feel like there's still like room for growth and DJ evolution of what people can do? 100%, 100%. Technology these days is literally pushing the envelope every single year. Like every single year, NAM is like one of the coolest things because every time, every year you see, okay, how much farther can I push this? What can I do? How much musicality can I bring in to my art form of DJing? What technology is going to help me bring my art form to, to the next step? What, what is there less that I can think about to make room for more things to think about? You know, like I'm a huge fan of this new technology that came out for DJs called Phase. And I've been using it since it came out. And my main thing is like, yo, like I'm playing these festivals every year with Ferg or by myself. And I'm a huge fan of all the EDM DJs. And they're all on CDJs, right? And why is that? Because they're playing heavy bass music and turntables, the needles, they're never going to stand up for that. Like I've been playing my sets. I, I refuse to, not, not that I refuse, but aesthetically, if I could have turntables on stage and I'm DJing, I'm going to keep it that way forever. But technology, like the tone arm, that's, an, that's, that's old technology. So therefore my music's going to crack or shake or it's going to skip because the turntable's going to handle the bass faces like taking that out they're like it's neat it's it's they're needles that don't need to be put on the record it's like I don't, I don't know how to even explain the technology but it's amazing they took out the need for needles and it's been such a help like i don't have to worry about my needle shaking i don't have to play on internal mode because i know i'm all right i know that my shit's not going to skip so it's little things like that so but what about the human aspect of of djing the tech side yeah i could see that that's going to keep changing but is there are there things that you know the humans can bring that they haven't been able to you know what is more important the music or the technology the music's always going to be there i feel like music's always going to be forever changing you know and i feel like it's what people decide to do with the music as far as djing goes that will change it but the technology is going to keep growing to the point where as long as the music keeps changing and people are inspired that they're always going to be able to find something new to do with what they're doing with, with turntablism. And um, why I say the technology is because the technology gives us room to, to think. You know, the, the technology gives us room to think about other things while we're DJing. So the sync, I was always like, when I first started DJing, I was heavily against the sync button. You know, it's like, nah, we got to mix. You got to be able to mix your own shit, blah, blah. But then it's like, you think about it, and like, who knows if my dad would be rolling over in his grave right now while I say this, but like <laughs> nobody, nobody cares if you can, if, if you can 
mix or drop on the one or, or I mean, it's, it's just expected at this point in time. If you're DJing on stage or if you're DJing for a crowd of people, you can mix two records. So let's see what else you can do because that's the, the most basic part of DJing is being, being able to mix two records, you know? So like now let's see how far else can you take it? Can you, can you mix four records or maybe can you mix these two records? And while you're mixing these two records, can you use the B pad that's on the mixer now so that you can add your own type of musicality to the set? It's like, what, what else can you do? Because mixing two records is 1982, you know? We're in right. 2020. <laughs> and it was huge then to, to imagine that people even did that. I mean, I remember what a huge thing that was. Uh, obviously, today, it's just taken for granted, like you say, but that was such a leap. 100%. And, you know, an evolutionary leap at that point. Exactly. One of the things I saw was a, a video of you in the subway, de- uh, you know, went in there to play music. Yep. Dope Roots, is that? Uh, yes, that's the name of our label. It's like an agency, DJ label, DJ crew type of thing. Right. So what was that? Uh, is that something you particularly enjoy? What was the reason for going? I loved it, though, by the way. It was such a great set. But whatever. Thank you. That, that was honestly just like pushing the envelope, like what I was saying now. Like, what else can we do? Like, okay, we can do these routines, but where can we do these routines? Where, where haven't I seen somebody take a DJ turn, like t- take turntables before? It's like, yeah, the train. And, and it was honestly the fun in doing it, you know, like setting it all up. The first time we DJed on the train, it was the day of the set and we were trying to figure it out. We had the generator, but we didn't have a battery big enough to get the generator to go on the train. So what we did is we drove my car to the train station. We took our car back, and that's all in the video in the first one. We, we took the car battery out of the car and like, right, we parked it right outside the train station and used the car battery to power the turntables. And it's not so much about the set per se, but it's the fact of like where we did it and what we did to pull this off because people are saying, oh, it's impossible. You can't do that. You can't do that. But it is possible. It just, it just takes a little bit of thinking outside the box. And that brings me back to like, what else can we do as DJs to push the limit, you know? So was that gorilla? Like you just went in and... Just did it, no permits, no permissions. Oh, yeah, every, yeah, super, super. Punk rock. Actually, the second time we did it, where we, I kind of, it was like not flash mob style, but kind of. We had like 50 people meet in my little ass apartment in Stytown, New York, in Manhattan. And we like flash mobbed it on the way there. And it's funny because we caused so much commotion that we did have police officers, like before the doors closed, they kind of looked in to see what was going on. And we all kind of had this feeling of, oh, shit, are we about to get shut down? Is, are we going to be able to do this? They just peeked in, and then they kind of just like gave us a head nod, like, oh, it's probably just a bunch of kids going somewhere. And the doors closed, and it was party time, you know? That was the main thing about it, is doing a guerrilla style. We kind of hoped a few times we would get shut down just for the, just for the cool shot content, you know? But we didn't. <laughs> I was just thinking back to what you were speaking about earlier when you set up in the, in the East Village, right, to do that. Yep. That's, and that led to your being discovered, right, by Ferg. Yep. exactly. Who knew, right? I'm sure that wasn't, like, on your mind at that time. Definitely not. Definitely not. <laughs> Are you still, like, looking for those kind of out-of-the-box uh, ideas for music? For sure, but now now it's more focused on production and, like, putting out music and how can I kind of use similar content ideas like that to push this new music that we're dropping. So instead of it's a little bit less DJ oriented and more like production oriented. And what about the marketing or the videos? Yeah, for sure. So now, but now like content, this was back in 
you're like 2012, you know, 2011, 2012. So now there's so many platforms. So now we kind of just go based off of like what the platforms are and what the platforms need, like TikTok, you know, and like kind of creating small campaigns like that and letting it and letting it move in that, in that world. That's longevity, you know, because if you have the young kids that are understanding your music and they're liking your music and they want to do these cool TikTok campaigns through your music, that's how you keep like a like longevity and that's how you like um, obtain like the younger fan base. Well, that TikTok thing is kind of crazy what's going on there right now, especially music, because uh, from what I hear, that's where records are breaking now. Oh, 100%. 100%. Everything's breaking on TikTok and it's because of the kids, you know? They just like pick a song and everyone challenge and everyone dances and then it, you get a million plays. Exactly. But nobody, you don't really make any money off that, right? It's just like f- for, well, for you'll, other you'll streams. Make, yeah, but you'll make the money back on the streams. Yeah. So like, so people will be looking for your song. People are like, I've heard the song a million times. Like, what song is this? Find it on Spotify. And also they are making money, I believe, because these records are like TikTok has distribution, their own distribution. They're going through TuneCore. So I believe you do make money on those streams. I could be wrong, but I, I, I'm pretty sure you do. So you're pretty well educated on all these platforms and the business side of, of what you're doing as well, it sounds like. Oh, 100%. I, I got to stay on top of it. Are you like the CEO of your company or what, what position do you take officially? Yeah. So the CEO, but I'm also, I'm, I'm a, I, I, I look at myself more of, of an artist, like my brother and my manager handle a lot of the business in the back end. And um, there's like a few DJs on the, on the roster and I kind of just make sure that I'm pushing the name is in my artistry and I'm making sure people understand what Dope Roots is. And like we throw events as well. And that's been like the main part where we've kind of, come up as well as far as like financially we make our we make most of our money in, in events and with that being said we love action sports like i love snowboarding i've been a skateboarder my whole life so we've kind of been bringing in action sports and music together so my job is to like really get the get the artists get the content get the skateboarders and bring in the lifestyle aspect yeah, well, that's that's a good place to be. There's a lot going on in that space for sure, and it's also oh, very sure. crossover, right? In so crossover culturally. Culturally, yeah. My whole thing with with the action sports is like, especially being a black guy. You know, it's like there aren't too many, but like there are now. But when I was growing up, like skateboarding or snowboarding, that was all like white things, and I hated boundaries. You know, like even around DMC, like they were one of the first groups to kind of break down boundaries and race when it comes to music like making Lock This Way with Aerosmith and like subconsciously that, that affected me as a kid growing up heavily because I was never a kid who really thought about race. Uh, like I had all different types of friends, you know, white, Asian, black, Middle Eastern. I had, a, my mom used to be like, dude, this, these kids' friends like the United Nations. Like he just has all types of different friends. And I always felt like, okay, cool. So if you want to put me in a, in a box and you want to say that I can't skate or skating is a white thing, I'm going to skate. Oh, snowboarding is a white thing. Cool. I'm going to get really good at snowboarding. You know? So that was always my take. And same with music. Like people are, Oh, EDM is a white thing. Like black kids don't listen to dance music. And I want, I want to make sure that that isn't the case. Well, that's great. Thank you so much for spending the time with me. And, and of course, it's very, very cool talking with you. Thank and you, man. It was cool talking to you too. 
Great yeah, questions. I look forward to uh, seeing you again with our friend, our mutual friend, Ricky Powell, who was a previous yes. guest on my show. The legend, Ricky Powell, <laughs> the, fun- the funky uncle. You got to, if you have a minute to listen to our podcast, we really had a, f- a good time. I let him, I let him go, man. And oh, he went there. That, that man can go. <laughs> he can go. He's actually giving me like some of the coolest stories ever that I've heard about my dad. Like he's the one that's like really put me on to some funny tour stories that he had for me. Like that was the guy who put me onto a lot of stuff. And I'm super appreciative of Ricky. Like that guy will forever be a very important person to me. All right. Thank you, TJ. Thank you guys. See you soon. Bye-bye. See ya. You've been listening to Light Culture. Thanks again to Burb. And don't forget to listen at shopburb.com forward slash lightculture, as well as Apple, Spotify, and other popular podcast platforms. You could also find me on Instagram at David Reporting.